That sounds like a, a grosser version of the movie Cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Alan. Good morning. Coming at you. <laughs> on the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we are we are doing the Intersections Tour. We've had Bonnie, we've had Casey, and this week joining us in the booth is a guest co-host, Raj Rambob from our Intersections episode. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you. What's up, everybody? We are going to be doing a Halloween special. So I think since the the beginning of this show, we've always done something Halloween themed. And we'll put in the show notes, if you'd like, at irenacast.com slash 128, all the past Halloween. We've explored ghosts and goblins and demons and witches and the devil. And uh, <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about just Halloween in general and our experience and how it's changed from our formative fundamental roots into now where we are uh, with the holiday itself. And uh, we had Raj come on specifically because I think he says interesting perspective on this particular issue. Issue. He comes from a, a different evangelical background than myself. So I come from Pentecostalism. Alan comes from more of a traditional conservative uh, Baptist background. And Raj is formally coming from the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit about that. And then for our segment, we're going to bring back an oldie but a goodie called Judging a Book by Its Cover, Halloween Horror Movie Edition. So uh, happy Halloween, everyone, for those of you that celebrate. And uh, yeah, so let's let's get into it. Um Raj, first of all, uh, give us a, just a little background on uh, on Halloween for you in your former religious context. Yeah, well, as you said, excited to be here. Um, really honored to be back on, yeah. on the show. Very excited this to is, have you. This um, is the fourth year of our Halloween, so that's yeah, that's pretty and, exciting. Uh, my first here. episode as as you know, not part of the Intersections crew, but myself halloween it's it's actually a profound a profound thing so as jeff said i grew up seventh day adventist which is fundamentalist it's evangelical and it's sectarian so it's got it's a triple threat three for three <laughs> and, um you know as a little kid i remember uh you know as part of an immigrant community so we were a minority within a minority so to speak is is how my family would talk about it um we did trick or treating we didn't do a ton of Halloween stuff in the home, but we got like I remember my favorite costume as a kid was the Fred Flintstone costume. And that is nice. Do you have yeah, pictures of that? <laughs> I, I know I do somewhere. Please uh, God, I need to I need to find them. <laughs> but like me and my my one of my closest cousin uh, cousins would would dress up and you know we'd go out and primarily we'd go out to relatives' homes. We didn't do the neighborhood door knocking other than people that we knew, which was kind of a thing in that part of the D.C. area. So that that was part of it. And then as I, I got older and became a parent, um, my Seventh-day Ad, my brand of Seventh-day Adventism got pretty stringent, particularly around Halloween. There was a lot of stuff I would say I was relatively liberal on. Um, like stances on women's ordination, which the Seventh-day Adventist Church still doesn't ordain women. My stance on LGBTQ people begin to be more open, um, and the church is still pretty horrid uh, on that. Um, but then something about Halloween, having having this real belief in the spirit world as sort of this literal world, was like, well, you know, Halloween's like the devil's birthday. It's like Satan's birthday. That's kind of how I referred to it. And my very dogmatic stance against Halloween is still, it still comes back to haunt me, so to speak. <laughs> Especially my, my younger son, when they were little, I did a thing. I was like, oh, you guys want to be scared? You want to be scared? I'll, I'll scare you. <laughs> and set up like a little thing in our house where they came down the hallway and into different rooms. And You were stuff. scaring your kids straight? That's so Yeah, awesome. it was like, it was so, what a dick. You're I like mean, you want to drink alcohol. You're gonna yeah, drink a whole bottle. <laughs> yeah, it, and I carry I carry a lot of regret. I mean, this is a very emotional thing for me. 
to actually be talking about it so publicly because I literally go through um, some internal family shaming every year at this time. Primarily my younger son, who was deeply scarred by this, brings it up, although I think he's forgiven me. The pain is still there. Like, you know, how could my dad do this to us and whatever? So without going into too much depth and, and you know, having a, a, a minor crying fit on the podcast, it was something that I deeply regret. But at the time, it was a belief that I held very tightly and at the time thought I was living into my belief as fully as I could and as a parent wanted to guard and protect my children from this gateway to evil, to Satanism. You know, over time, that when things broke loose, Halloween ended up becoming a very liberative holiday where you engage with the creative side of oneself, because we all have wonderings, I guess. We all have imaginations, and it's a time to, to entertain all aspects of ourselves in relative freedom and free from judgment, whereas other times of the year, so to speak, you might be it's like you can even have conversations during this time of year, during the fall, about the supernatural or about um, the dead and other things that are much more well-received than other times of year. So the, the shift, the transformation for me around Halloween has been dramatic. It's been dramatic. And in a way, it's been somewhat full circle as it went from a spiritual holiday that needed to be opposed with every ounce of my energy to a spiritual holiday that I really embrace and and am open to. And it's it's a big deal in our home. Um, we decorate to a fair amount, have great conversations. And, you know, I go through the, the annual shaming of dad for oh, doing nice. that <laughs> scared straight um, project. And, uh, you know, and rightly so. It's something that I probably should never outlive. I think that there's probably not a listener out there who can't relate with that. I mean, that's something we've encountered over and over. And Jeff and I specifically have experiences we've had in our past that we've done as ministers that we carry the burden of. Right. And Rod, specifically, thank you for being vulnerable about that, because I think that's one of our, our blind spots so far in this show and our perspective is that uh, I'm coming into kids as a progressive. So it's one thing for us to deconstruct our own, you know, past and spirituality. And although we did have influence over students, and I think we have a lot of regret in terms of youth ministry and stuff like that, but I'm sure that's nothing compared to having to, to, to live that through with our, with our own kids and watching them during those formative years, um, you know, be in the thick of all the things that we all have moved on from. So thank you for that vulnerability. I, I was wondering though, like when you talk about like, what were the specific things about Halloween that that Seventh Day Adventism and I, I, I we would love to have you back on later in the future to talk more about your experience specifically within that context um, and even within a parenting context. I think that's those are other areas we haven't explored in the show. So I'm looking forward to to hopefully doing more with you and and your wife Bonnie on on those particular issues. Um, but Halloween specific, what were the what were the exact things? Because I know for us in Pentecostalism there was a lot of like demons and you know, um, like literal, like there's a demon attached to everything and that there was a lot of like uh, the occult was the biggest concern. Uh, is that true for Seventh-day Adventists or was there more to it when it came to that? It was candy up there too. <laughs> because I know Seventh-day Adventists are like everyone I've met is like the fittest, most healthy person I've ever <laughs> encountered in my life because I know health, health consciousness is important. I can't imagine Satan's birthday plus candy just kind of like making sense in the <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist world. Yeah, I'd love to do a deeper dive on Seventh-day Adventism for sure. And it's, and it's deserving of that. I mean, there, there are some things that I've carried from that tradition that are quite beautiful and have continued to be edifying. And then there's a lot that's just crap and, and needs to be buried. Um, but specifically, in, in a way, to try to simplify uh, the thing, uh, sometimes we're Seventh Adventism is characterized as very conservative Southern Baptist with Saturday worship. So the demons, um, spirit world being real, the occult being dangerous, backwards mask. I don't know if you guys remember that playing records backwards and oh, right. was yeah, yeah. The messages. we had <laughs> whole six, lessons six, on that on stuff, the baking you know? soda. those are all my favorite albums too <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, the very best music you know 
And in, in Seventh-day Adventist theology, uh, Lucifer, when in heaven, was the choir director and could sing in five voices and all kinds of stuff. So he's the master of music, which is cool. I mean, Satan You know, rocks, I've never right? heard that. You <laughs> well, never I heard that? So- no, I, oh. like I said, I come, I come from a quote unquote biblical based background. So we'd agree demons exist. You just don't talk about them because you're not <laughs> supposed to like wonder about things that are not in the Bible, basically. Well, there, there is a Bible verse, isn't there, Raj, that talks about like the, the, I don't know, morning glory or something about yeah. some, some yeah, the star entity. The, hey, it wasn't referring to a Hollywood star when it said the star fell. Guys, come on now. No, it was referring <laughs> to, to the devil is what, what, at least what we believed in our tradition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Us too. Yeah. Us too. And, you know, our the, the Seventh-day Adventist founding prophet is Ellen White, um, and she wrote a lot of books. And Wait, I'm sorry, to say just that. to interrupt. So a denomination that does not ordain women was founded by a woman. Yes. Okay. Just, just wanted to, I just wanted to <laughs> clarify. <laughs> and actually – Hey, that's what if, Christianity is, dude. Come on. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> who was the – you know, who, who gave the good news first, right? Right. Um. Yeah, I have some great stories about uh, actually visiting sites where Ellen White lived and, uh, you know, growing up. So yeah, I can't wait for that episode. And you've got to, it, it really needs to be a, an episode with both Bonnie and I because she's got some great stories too. I'm, I'm really excited about this episode, particularly because it's an Irish American holiday, like I was telling you guys ahead of time, trying to stake out my ethnic. <laughs> a cultural space. That's what us Irish do, right? It's what us yeah. European Infect white males cultures. do. It's just Irish. <laughs> hey, come on now. The European white males hated Irish people too. Yeah, you know, I I, I watched the what? Did you guys see that that uh, litmus test for white fragility recently posted? There's like a, 20 questions, and it's like if you respond yes to any of them, you're dealing with white fragility. And one of them was like, "Do you really go back to the suffering of your ancestors to be able to like prove that you have a space to speak <laughs> toward people who are currently experiencing oppression that you might be dealing with white fragility?" I laughed at it. It's a good barometer. Um, yeah, I mean, ha- Halloween's even celebrated in America because of the Irish. I mean, they brought it over in the 1800s during the potato famine when my great grandfather was, you know, an orphan or whatever. That's interesting but, because I. uh I don't know if it's just being from California, but I, it's always been more of a, like a Hispanic influence in mm. an aesthetic in my growing Cause up. Because of Catholicism. Right, right. Which I mean, is also from... within a lot of times within Pentecostalism, aside from the demon stuff, it was also a, a Catholic holiday, which according to a lot of Pentecostals that I grew up with, uh, Catholicism is a cult. Uh, right. Which all and that stuff. Even in mine, we're, we weren't charismatic, but we would say the, not we. My former background would say the Pope was the Antichrist. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. Oh, oh yeah, we, we heard that. We, we had we had proof. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do an episode on that, on that stuff, <laughs> on all of our particular uh, eschatologies. They, well, what's what's crazy is they. Were, I remember they the, the Seventh Day Adventists are are pretty savvy when it comes to promotional materials, uh, especially internal promotional materials. I remember a movie that they had that how it was universally understood that the pope was the antichrist by all christians protestant christians and they would show these clips of people from early whatever you know christianity in the united states how they're speaking against the pope and then stuff started to shift and the pope became a little more uh, the papacy became a little less problematic to these other religions the, these other christian uh, traditions and so look how we as Seventh Day Adventists are staying true to the message when these other Christian denominations are falling apart or falling uh, away from the truth. Um, and I remember that making a really huge impression to the detriment of my ability to relate as a normal human being. <laughs> but I, I remember it being deeply influential and going, "Oh wow, yeah, we are we are holding true. Look at us." Anti-Catholic sentiment was a massive part of our culture for hundreds yeah. of years. Crazy. I mean, JFK was a significant shift. I mean, all the Irish uh, Irish Americans did St. Patty's Day more than Ireland did because it was kind of a pride event, you know, saying we're Irish and we're proud of that was like a pushing back against power kind of thing. And once JFK became president, it was like, wow, 
anti-Irish, anti-Catholic sentiment has finally been like kind of resolved. And then, you know, we went on to be white supremacists, but <laughs> whatever. Um, well, the, the Vatican II had a lot to do with that too. Just the, the, the yeah, that Vatican, Vatican Pope, II. Um, not T O, but you're saying T W O. Yeah. T W O. Yeah. Yeah. Vatican II did. Uh, but yeah, I guess so. Halloween started and we all know this and Roger could probably share this as well since you're well versed in. Here history comes our Alan's theology. history lesson. We should have a little, like, know, a little yeah, chime I have in. To talk about it. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote a, um, because I get excited about Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. Let's go I, for I it. I said this four years ago, but every other holiday, there's stress involved. You think about Thanksgiving, like everybody has to wake up early and start cooking. You have to find the perfect sweaters for everyone and take a little picture with all their hair just right. And at Christmas, you have to buy all these presents and like do all this stuff. Halloween, you could like, you know, put on a bed sheet or just like, actually, that sounds bad. You could put on something, uh, whatever and walk around and knock on people's doors and that's it. Or put out a bowl of candy and like, Dude, people you never, you never out. went to a toga party at Halloween. Mm. I don't no, think I they think, had uh, toga parties at Masters College. Probably not. <laughs> they probably had other kind of white sheet parties, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they didn't at my college oh either, my but, but the University of Maryland did. They were fun. You know, I, I, I can't say anything because I did hear some pretty racist stuff when I was in college. Like, oh, you know, that black theology, because there's things like black theology and feminist theology, the world's so bad. So I, I did hear some pretty bad, pretty gnarly things. But yeah, so it, it, it comes from Celtic roots. Raj, you were saying you, you appreciate how during this time of year, you can talk about the dead a little more freely and have that like connection to the past and things that normally don't fly and originally it was a Celtic holiday where they would burn like the bones of cows. And they thought that the, the veil between this world and that was a little thinner. And one thing I really appreciate is getting in touch with my Celtic Christian roots. Um, there's a very like understanding all of the world is spiritual. And there's this like, um, this aspect to life that if you just look at it differently, you know, if you have the help of help of the Druids, the people who knew the trees, then you would actually be able to see the spirituality of all things. And early Christians were really invested in that. Um, I like to have a generous reading of it and just say, you know, Christianity fused with Halloween, but it was probably an Imperial thing. Have you heard that before? That like Christianity kind of colonized. Oh well, yeah. I mean, what a uh, harvest festival. <laughs> Christianity never meant anything. It didn't want to colonize. Right. I was just going to say that. <laughs> You know, um, I, I just realized something for the first time. Did you guys ever have harvest festivals at your church? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pushing back against <laughs> That's Halloween. Right. Well, That's actually okay. stupid because Halloween is the Christian, is the, is the like All Saints Day. Hallowmas well, is what they used to call right. it, right? They'd call it Hallowmas on November 1st and All Hallows Eve was supposed to be. Yeah, all, the saints have a day of, of the year to s- celebrate that specific saint. Like today. Today, as we're recording, is the Feast of St. Francis. And as I was pulling up into my uh, drive this morning, there were some birds drinking out of a puddle in my in my driveway. And I thought of St. Francis because, you know, he preached to the birds. It's my favorite holiday of of the calendar. But uh, this is supposed to be a catch-all for all the saints. And so it's a Christian holiday. Harvest Festival is a pagan thing. So why did we call all of our stuff Harvest Festival to be more Christian? Yeah. It's fascinating because we're stupid (laughs) (laughs) and we don't know our history and we're reactionary. Shall I go on? (laughs) Yes. Yes, you should. My, my church had trunk or treats. Did you guys do that? Yeah. I planned a few of those. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, let's not go out and be in our community. Let's make sure that, you know, all of our kids come here to our church so they can go, you know, car to car and not be exposed to the outside world. Well, Bonnie, Bonnie and I used to be educators in the Seventh-day Adventist school system. And something which I think she invented, I, I'd have to verify this with her, but we, instead of, uh, you know, we dressing up was cool. There's nothing wrong with dressing up in costumes, right? So we had a Noah's Ark party. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, we, we had a Noah's Ark you. party. So kids could dress up as Halloween, you know, as animals or as Noah and his dysfunctional family and then had like an arc out of cardboard and they were really fun. I mean, they, we, we did manage to have a good time and then, you know, we had plenty of candy and games and that kind of thing. So seventh day event wasn't like abstinent when it came to the day. Like it wasn't like don't participate in anything, but we can still create our own events with some of the same staples like candy and dressing up and stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, it was just a way to try to figure out how to cope, to reconcile some of the stuff. I can't say that there was a ton of thought put into that, but it's just, you know, our kids want to do something. They see all their friends in the neighborhood doing stuff. So what can we do to be somewhat set apart from the world, but still have a good time so our kids aren't like, screw this when they get old enough. Right. So Roger, what were like the feelings that you had? Like when, when Halloween would come, like what, what about it? Like hit you personally in terms of why you felt you needed to be so like stringent about how and what you should and should not participate in when it came to Halloween. That's a great question. And I, and I, I really want to connect that to then and now, because as Alan pointed out, there is this understanding for those that are connected to what I would consider pagan or neo-pagan type ideas and earth rootedness, where at this time of year, the veil between the realms is thin. And I think that is something back then that I, I truly felt and believed. Um, and what was on the other side of the veil was pure evil in my belief system. And now it's, I still think this is a time of year that the veil is thin. I mean, I, I, I feel it. Um, not that you couldn't access the thinness at other times, but that what's on the other side of the veil has so much beauty and so much to offer our, our current existence that opportunities to learn, reconnect, forgive and be forgiven the the construct like the 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 framework is so similar but the understanding and the belief about what is on the other side and how one ought to relate rather than reject and engage in fear-mongering to celebrate and embrace the opportunity of connecting with something uh that that is beyond i find that particularly beautiful because you know for like my family way back Halloween was a time to reconnect with your dead ancestors. And so, you know, people would set the table, go to bed and they would expect that their ancestors would come feast in their house. And it was in the early 1900s when they started conflating Halloween with like vandalism, you know, like I, especially the Irish, Irish kids putting on masks and running around and vandalizing people's houses, which they probably did some of that removing their gates and stuff like that. But Rather than it just being something to be scared of, it used to be something to celebrate. And do you feel like in your Christianity, the idea of connecting with ancestors has had kind of a, rev of a revival for you at all? Because I see sometimes in some of the more progressive circles and worship spaces, there's like speak about ancestors, whereas that was never a part of my church experience. Like that, that was so Catholic, you would never do it, you know, to speak about the dead or to speak about ancestors is almost like saint worship. Yeah, thanks for bringing that into the conversation, Alan, because for me, Christianity has never really offered that to me. But I think that's because just some internal blockage because of the way I was formed in a particular Christianity. But part of my journey um, when leaving after having left fundamentalism, uh, sectarianism, I wanted to reclaim my Indian-ness. In order to do that, you really have to know something about Hinduism and connect with it to some degree. And so found a lot about connecting to my ancestors through Hinduism. And, and, and not that I'm a practicing Hindu, but there are elements of Hinduism that I've adopted into my spiritual practice and life and, and theological structure. And so, you know, I've got Jesus and I've got the goddess in Hinduism that are all part of my I guess Trinity, it still managed to stay three. <laughs> so, um, may, maybe three plus, right? You know, the, the, the Hindu aspect of. Don't disparage divine. the Trinity around Alan. He'll, he'll, he'll start a fight. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I can believe in the Trinity and allow people to think and feel what they, what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Pluralism, baby. One, one thing I really do appreciate um, is that like, it used to be I had an imperial idea of Christianity, and after studying the Bible a lot, I realized that the gospel, when it goes into different cultures, has different flavors. It has different things to say to those cultures and in those cultures. And even if you look at the, the four gospels, you'll see very different articulations of what Jesus meant and what Jesus did. And so when I see Christianity going to Ireland in the early 300s, it's like it's it's not – it didn't have to go there to tell everybody they're wrong, you know, to tell all of the Celtic – 
uh, traditions that they're absolutely dead wrong. They need to completely convert culturally. So the fact that there is an Irish church that was totally apart from Roman Catholicism for, you know, a thousand years or whatever for a really long time, um, there's a lot to be mined and, and gained there from, from the past. And Halloween is one of those things, you know, it's like, this is, this is a cool expression of, um, if you look at it from, without the imperial lens, if you do get back in touch with some of the spirituality of the original Harvest Festival stuff that we can learn from, hmm. I feel that. It's it's really interesting hearing both of you speak about Halloween and like how obviously throughout the whole course there's been significance in it, whether it's been a religious tradition or not. And I'm on the other end of the spectrum where Halloween was just a fun holiday where I got candy and got to dress up. And then it got muddied a little bit in my Christian journey because it was connected to stuff that I never fully – like one of the things I never fully bought into. And now to me, like there's no significance to it, like outside of just it's fun – there's candy. We have a good time. And I don't, I don't have, I don't have anything other than that attached to it. So it's really, it's really fun for me to hear both of your perspectives to see like how much, uh, how many layers there are to just this, from my perspective, just a, you know, just a passing holiday and uh, how easy at one point in my life it would have been to dismiss both of you and say, Ah, eh, you know, you're making too much of it. It's just this, it's just this. But then to be in a place now where I can be like, oh, that's really interesting. And it actually adds a little bit to my to my perspective to know that there's more happening around me, even though I'm necessarily not looking beyond the surface of it. You're articulating a shift from fundamentalism to like appreciating pluralism. And I, I'm right there right now. I'm I'm moving in that direction too and trying to hear from other traditions. You know, if, if you feel like Jeff, if, if Halloween's just been whatever for you, maybe try setting the table for your dead relatives on October, you know, it's a thirty first or thirtieth. It's thirty first, right? October thirty first at night, set the table, make some pancakes, because that's what they originally did. Put out some curds. I don't know how you make curds, but I'm sure Jeff knows how to. <laughs> I do, actually. And then, I mean, I... <laughs> and then set, set the table and then go to bed. And then just think about, like, you know, how, how that would affect you. I'd Jeff, much you rather Irish? watch Halloween. Uh, I think I ha- I, I just took one of those uh, genetic tests or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I have a little bit of Irish, but Everyone's I'm mostly – Irish. I'm all white. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You well, look at my math. That's it's not like, really a thing. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, mostly actually Italian and German. Oh, okay. Well, you got some great food to set out. Screw the curds. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you some. know, uh, the uh, I, I took that test and it said I was a little bit Polynesian. And then it updated like a year later. It upd- I was like – 1% Polynesian. Then it updated its metrics and then it went away. And I was like, <laughs> all German and Irish. <laughs> like, that's basically it. And a little bit of Ashkenazi Jewish, um, like 2%. But man, I, I always have to say this every episode. I think this is the fourth time. So I've got to say it. But there was actually a song that went to trick or treating before. And so I, I have to, to read it out loud. Kids would say, they would actually go to houses and they would extort people for soul cakes. Yeah, uh, I've never heard anyone like actually make them. Did you make them, Raj? Did you guys have like a no a tradition of no? No, I actually wrote in in one of the schools where I was principal wrote a newsletter article to dissuade uh, families from participating in Halloween explicitly by using the soul cake tradition. Interesting, um, not really kind of couching the soul cakes as an exploitative measure of you know basically indulgences buying your forgiveness right basically kids would say they would pray for dead relatives if you would give them a soul cake so screwed up (laughs) and so they would say soul soul an apple or two yeah if you haven't an apple a pair will do one for peter two for paul three for the man who made us all and if you gave the kids these cakes they would pray for your dead family and uh i think that's pretty cool (laughs) i want kids coming and offering to pray for my family that's awesome yeah that is kind of (laughs) cool we should bring that back i want to connect back something rush said you said you had noah's ark parties yeah at our church we did the harvest festival our our, the houses were spaced out so much that it actually made sense to go to a parking lot and kind of go you know car to car and each trunk would be open and they would decorate it you sometimes you'd have to reach through something and try to like you know you put your hand in a bowl of noodles as if it was like you know right. some sort of gross thing to pull out something. candy yeah. yeah and you always have that one person handing out toothbrushes or like a potato or something ridiculous <laughs> and uh <laughs> and we were not allowed to come dressed up as anything except something in the bible which i think really spoke to our theology sure you know? 
nothing outside of the Bible, only things from the Bible. And so a lot of kids were like, well, if it's an animal, it was on Noah's Ark. So that that was like the catch-all. You could be any animal you wanted. Um, and then you always have that like one or two kids that would come from the neighborhood or a friend who'd have like a Jason mask on or something. And everybody would just like be super pissed at this kid who's just <laughs> celebrating Halloween. Right. He was like, hey, I just, heard there was a party. Right. My friend is like carrying me. a chainsaw. There's like blood all, <laughs> blood all over his shirt. Right. <laughs> it's like Jesus the Carpenter 2.0. But people would dress up like uh, the Wall of Jericho. My mom always did like the Fruits of the Spirit. She had this like sweatshirt and she'd have like a vine on it and she would have all the fruits, you know. You just and get one labeled. of those Fruit of the Loom costumes. Yeah. Something like that. See, back then we had to make our own though. Yeah, I know. know. Well, did it, did anyone ever get creative? Like they really wanted to do the blood and guts thing. They just did the crucified Jesus. That would kind of. No, that would be <laughs> hilarious. Actually, yeah. I don't know if that would be hilarious. That'd be scarring. Yeah, that's, you, that's you'd so have been up. disinvited. Actually, I went as my grandma one time. I dressed up as my grandma um, for school, and I I was in like second or third grade, and I thought that it was the it was the greatest trick ever because I thought everyone actually believed I was my grandma, like my teachers were pretending that I was, and so they were all like playing into that. <laughs> my pastor confronted my mom, and he was like, "You should not be allowing your son to dress up like a woman." Oh my goodness! Yeah, wow. and and, wow. My, and my my parents, even though we went to that church, they would also be like, "Okay, whatever," <laughs> like that's that's a little too far beyond the pale, you know, or whatever. I, I kind of I want to loop back to something that you know Alan was talking about, and that Jeff that you were talking about with the connection to ancestors. And I I wonder if Halloween and this conversation could be a great gateway to some deeper thinking on how we in the United States were such a consumer driven society. Everything's disposable, and we've even turned our our sacred holidays into these disposable. Um, endeavors when there are these really amazing opportunities to connect with the past and bring traditions forward, not for the sake of sameness or locking us in, but to be connected to our elders, our ancestors, and and family and rootedness. So I'm I'm just wondering, like, it, does anything? And Alan, you've talked about it a little bit. Jeff, you've talked about it a little bit. But for you guys, is there anything about this time of year that? helps you reach back a little bit. Jeff has said multiple times that we're an adolescent culture. Mm. If you look at our culture compared to more European ones or just places around the world, we're such a young society that's been kind of thrown together and we're kind of learning how to grow up and we're in this like really weird moment. I can't help but feel like if we had some sort of connection to ancestors, like, you know, how when you're a, a teenager, you, uh, you do this individuation thing and you push back against everything and everyone. And then when you're in your young, you know, early to late twenties, you start reconnecting a little bit with some of the things, some of the more solid things. Maybe we as a society need that to be a little less disposable to connect more to our, our roots and ancestors and stuff. I feel that especially as a white person, mm, to yeah. be honest. I mean, like in Raj, you and I've had this conversation a lot. Whiteness has erased my history. Yeah. Um, not just it physically erased the history of other people, which is like a million times worse. But the the idea that I'm just a white person, I'm not someone who's connected to a history from a particular place, from a particular culture is actually, you know, I feel like an orphan. Well, my great grand, you know, my great great grandfather was actually an orphan, but just culturally, I feel like it. I, I I'm always a little hesitant when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um my family situation is complicated. So uh, most of my formative years were trying to create an identity outside and completely separate from my family. And I don't know one whole side of my family. Like I don't know who my father is. My father doesn't even know I exist. So there's this whole other side that is just, it's one of those areas that I've just avoided. And, and in fact, only recently, like I said, I did the whole genealogy thing and I've been messing around on like ancestry.com and, and learning a little bit about some of the stuff. Cause my grandmother would always talk about our extended family and her parents and all that kind of stuff. And I was always interested in that. And I think I, I, uh, I attached a certain, a certain part of myself to that, but I wasn't interested in going any deeper because it honestly, it felt like every time I explored a little bit of my family history, it got a little, uh, uglier and messier and, it was just easier for me to be like, well, I'm just going to forge my own path 
and not look back. So I, I don't spend a, I've, I've never, never spent a lot of time on like my culture. Like I had a friend in, in high school who was big on like his Irish heritage or whatever. And I guess vicariously through him, I would learn a little bit here and there, but I was never, never invested into where my ancestors came from or anything like that. I, I, I actively try to distance myself from it. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I apologies if I. No, 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 not at all. Not at no, all. That's I'm, I'm interested in reclaiming that personally, like setting out pictures of, you know, uh, I did a little bit of research on your family, Jeff, and I found a, I don't know if this is like too personal to talk about, but like probably is. <laughs> you have my attention. Out. I don't know if it's for the right reason, but we'll see. <laughs> I discovered, I discovered on Ancestry, uh, through like some of the research on, on your family line, there's this really cool photo album from one trip back in like the 1920s where your family, like this, these Italian, this Italian family is driving these like almost like model T cars and they're all, they all look so awesome. And they're like playing in the snow or playing on the beach or something. And they're all dressed up like amazing, you know, 1920s outfits. And I was like, there's just a really precious thing that kind of was out there and discovering that was kind of, kind of amazing, you know, the aunts and uncles and yeah, and I mean, me, I've seen a lot of pictures. My uncle does a lot of work with that. So he even made a book for me recently. So I think oh, cool. now that I have kids, I have engaged more than I ever have. Um, so, you know, that I'm sure that'll change is because I don't want, I don't want my kids to grow up like I did embarrassed, you know, um, and not in like the natural, I'm a teenager, I'm too cool for my parents kind of embarrassment, but really like, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what I know. This is getting into a weird <laughs> thing, but a lot of what I know is like speculative. So like certain things that I know about my family or my my immediate family in terms of like my birth and dad and all that kind of stuff are, are speculative. And uh, because it was never – that information was never shared with me. So it's, it's really – it's this weird thing. So I think maybe that's why I adopted culturally the whole uh, Halloween thing because anything connected to ancestry, I was always like – I just tune out. Like even when Alan talks about like Celtic stuff, I'm like, oh, here we go again. And I'm just going <laughs> to just going just gonna to shut my brain off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's and that's a good question, because I think it's interesting how we find it connected to everything. And what's really interesting is that I always I admire that when I teach about the Hebrew scriptures, particularly about like around Passover, I always like really try to highlight this idea of how they really viewed themselves as part of this overall history. So even like the, the verbiage that they would use is like, we were delivered out of Egypt. Like they were actually there like generations and generations later and how, how I loved that. I still love that. But for some reason there's a disconnect in my, my personal practice in terms of wanting to be a part of my family's story. I don't know. Anyway, this has gotten to therapy session. I, so let's uh, I feel like <laughs> no, that, that, and it's, it's that makes just, perfect sense, Jeff. It does. And I was going to say, it's not just family for me. It's not just ancestry. I feel like everybody's child in general, because I was raised by like 50 people, you know, in our church, we call everybody mom and dad, you know, mama this and papa this or whatever. And kind of like we'd be disciplined by them in their houses too. And so I've recently reconnected with like spiritual ancestors. I don't know if you've experienced any of this Raj, but I was given like a a little like coloring book almost, but it was just like big po- – it was kind of like poster cards of like five or six uh, or seven people from the past. Like Teresa of Avila was one. You know, St. Francis was the, was another. And it had – one of the um, ministers in our area had gone through and drawn these really elaborate things that you could color while thinking about these characters and their lives and things and kind of meditating on them during their feast days as a calendar. And I was actually holding them and looking at them like St. Patrick was one, Teresa of Avila was one. And I'm like, in what sense am I connected to these people? Am I allowed to connect to these people? Am I allowed to learn from them? Am I allowed to look at them like I would like a mom or a dad, like someone that's really close to my heart that I'm living in the spirit of? And God damn, all of the, the texts of the Bible are written in the spirit of other people. Like you have stuff in the New Testament written in the spirit of Paul, you know, that's not actually from him, but they're writing in the vein of Paul as if they would be. And you're not forging something. You're just joining the vein that still exists of that person's experience and, and life force. And so it's like, what sense can we live into these heroes of the past and these people that we connect to? Maybe Halloween is for that. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think it's certainly Halloween is a huge invitation to that for for sure. 
in order to do that very thing, to connect with ancestors and other saints who've gone on before, for me, the, the road had to be through Hinduism and a study and embrace of some Hindu ideology and practice to, to get to that. And it's just been, it's been great. And, and it's in a way, it's been something that's been there in my family all along. It just got co-opted by Western missionary stuff. Extricating it from that grasp of colonialism has been a process and continues to be a process. That's another episode right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talking about that. I mean, for us, that's just a theory, right? Like it's not something that, that has affected our, our everyday life for the most part. Um, so kind of as we wrap up the conversation, any final thoughts in terms of like Halloween or things you want to share and, and kind of, I guess, settling into that place of where we are now and, and how we approach it? Yeah, well, I, I actually have kind of a, a fun list that I threw together about some things, just observations that I love about Halloween today. Be, beyond the, you know, these are more superficial, but um, may, maybe not. But like one is uh, we have we have dogs in my family and I've seen this with other people, but I'm very critical of folks who dress up their animals at any other time of year. <laughs> Any other time, you know, any other time, no sweater like, vests for their your your cat. puppy does not want to be in that stupid <laughs> yeah sweater vest. They hate it. Can't you see that? But yeah, you can like dress up you your can animal. See the shame on their face. Yeah, you dress up your animal, and everyone's like, "Cool, cool outfit or cool dye job." We have a white dog, and we will sometimes dye her in uh, food coloring, and everyone's like, "Hey, right on." And we give ourselves and one another permission to let the inner weirdo loose. And you can just kind of do strange things and people are like, cool, it's Halloween. That alone makes it a sacred holiday. Yeah, absolutely. And then like you were talking about, Alan, like everyone's welcome to the party. You know, if there's if there's a Halloween party going on, I mean, you just whatever. Come on in. Uh, All the weirdos are allowed. And, you know, it's kind of going to the, this this other realm. Even the dead get to participate. There's like this invitation to the multiple dimensions. And Can it's we stick with that before you move on to your next one? Yeah, yeah. I think hospi- the scariness of hospitality Ooh. is the is what Halloween is about for me. Nice. It's darker. People are dressed up. Everybody's opening their front doors. People you would never in their lives ever open their front door to their neighbors. And some of those neighbors, you know, their doors are closed and their lights are off. And that's a little bit scary too. Like, do I go up there? Do I knock? Do I not? That whole thing is a very prescient conversation for our society that we never get to have. Hospitality is scary. And hospitality is the central part of my personal theology. When I wrote my ordination paper, like, I believe divine hospitality is what the gospel is. That's a part yeah. of my Irishness. So I want to hear more about that. More about like the everyone's invited to the party. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Uh, hospitality being a scary prospect. Going on with the list, it's a totally voluntary holiday. You know, if people are like, uh, yeah, I'm not really into Halloween. You know, you judge them a little bit secretly, but it's not that <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. And no pressure to buy gifts. You know, you're not like, oh, my God, what do I get so-and-so? And no one's offended that you didn't get him a gift. No one's let down or hurt or disappointed. It's just like, hey, you showed up. Cool. Right on. Um, and then this this one is kind of one of my favorites is that kids get to talk to strangers. You know, we're we're so, like, jacked up and fear-based today. And sometimes rightfully so. Yeah, it's it's important to to, to exercise, you know, caution and, and prudence. I, I love kids. I, I've worked with young kids, and I don't look like somebody who's supposed to love kids uh, other than my own. Can and I so, say that's really freaking sad? That's just the concept of you, you look like someone that shouldn't love kids. Like, that's... Right. It, that it's, sucks. It's just something that I, I, I know is, is kind of there. And like, you know, I'd be at the grocery store and there's, you know, a, a mom or a dad or grandparent pushing a kid in the cart. And like the kid's looking at me and I'm like, hey, how are you? Or whatever. Or a kid talks to me or says something. It's just always, I'm always on guard with having to be like, uh. whereas, you know, Halloween, you can talk about a costume or, you know, and it's not that big of a deal. There's uh, both strangers. I get this sounds weird, but strangers get to talk to kids and kids get to talk. to. Strangers I think that's awesome. That different mm. being so sheltered in my background from people who are different than me. That's cool. Yeah. You know, maybe we could do better 
and and be a little more proactive around that. Not not to let down our guard against people that are out there to cause harm. Most people are just looking to to relate, looking to be seen and and make a connection. Right. Well, Alan, any thoughts before we we move on to our segment? Raj nailed it. I think for me it was the hospitality thing. Hospitality. I feel like we just all about. Uh, planned next year's Halloween episode. Hospitality and Halloween. Uh, and uh, anyway, all candy that corn, <laughs> candy corn controversy. That's don't tell choice. me about 2019. I can't. It's you already, can't even think that it's far almost ahead. 2020, man. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can add your voice to this particular conversation uh, by commenting in the show notes at irenacasta.com slash 128. Also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all their ways you can like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 128. Even let us know if you're a dresser upper, what you're going to dress up for Halloween. What about you, gentlemen? Are you, do you have wait, any plans? Jeff, wait, I want to say, Jeff, you've never dressed up for Halloween since I've known you for the most part, but you did recently and you, you killed it. Absolutely Last year was it. the first time I had dressed up since I was 10 years old for Halloween because I got too cool for that and I didn't want to do it. But I've last year for, I did it. For what, 12 years now? Thir- 13 years? 13, something And I've like never that. seen you dress up. Yeah, but last I, year... I did. I killed it. I dressed up as Negan from The Walking Dead and it was pretty, it was a pretty awesome costume. bat and everything. <laughs> So good, nice, nice. Uh, I want to dress up as Thanos. Um, I've been hanging Ooh, out with. That's a good one. But yeah, this lady that I've been uh, hanging out with has children, and they called me Thanos a few times because they saw the Avengers movie. You know, <laughs> your beard gives you that like chin, <laughs> does. the Thanos I, chin. If I segment it, like his like lines, I could totally do it. So sometimes I'll pick them up and say, "I've sacrificed everything." <laughs> <laughs> So maybe get the gondola and work on your snaps. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, how dare you? I mean, <laughs> if someone doesn't know that yet, <laughs> then they haven't been online. Raj, what about um, you? Do you have a costume? You know, this year I'm going to be traveling on Halloween. Bonnie and I are taking that week off. We will be visiting my brother and parents up in Oregon, and on Halloween Day, we're we're actually going to be flying down to Southern California. Because she and I are going to hang out in Disneyland for a few days. So, oh, so you'll fun. dress up as tourists. We will dress up as tourists, which looks a lot like when I'm not at work, pretty much yeah. <laughs> all the time. And uh, maybe just go to dinner on Halloween night down in SoCal and, and then hit Disney for the next few days. Sounds good. You know what you should do is you should just go a few miles the other direction and do Not Scary Farm. Because it's super oh, fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of – it's one. It's my favorite, like, amusement park Halloween thing. It's, it's flipping scary. Don't they chase oh, yeah, you for and sure. stuff? Oh, I, when, when we lived down there, we went – I was like, holy crap, this is really scary. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they're not, like, bound – like, if you go to uh, Magic Mountain or you go somewhere else, they're bound by their, their intellectual properties because they own, like – they're part of the, the Warner Brothers studio, so it's all DC, like, all that kind of stuff. But Knott's Berry Farm, they just can be as creative as they want with how they do all their – oh, it's, it's great. You should do it. I don't know – I don't know about paying people to chase me. It feels kind of weird. It's awesome. It's – It seems like it would be really scary. Oh yeah, it's I was a youth pastor down in that area and we take kids there all the time for like Halloween and they would freak out like they wouldn't want to go through the it's my favorite thing. In our house our tradition is we always sneak around corners and scare each other so it's like to me it's the funniest thing. And my daughter, one of my daughters particularly when anyone gets scared, she just like belly laughs every time. She cannot <laughs> like just stop. She thinks it's the funniest thing in the world and you could you could see it in her eyes when you scare her. She gets this That's exhilaration awesome. like, "Oh, I got scared. I can't wait to do it back." And it's it's wonderful. All right. Well, anyway, on the other side of the music, let's uh play a round of uh judging a book by its cover. This will be fun. Judging a book by its cover is exactly how it sounds. This is a segment that we've done several times where each co-host has a title and then the other co-hosts have to guess what that book is about. However, we're doing horror movie edition. So we all have various horror movie titles and the other the other hosts have to guess exactly what that movie 
is about. Let's see what we have. Uh, Raj, let's start with you as, as our guest co-host this week. Give us a, a title. So the first title is simply a capital letter Q. 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 Okay, I'm going to go with um, a group of scientists are experimenting with a life form that they discovered. And they're combining it with technology in the far future when there's, you know, AI and stuff like that. And they accidentally create this life form that is a mixture of like some symbiotic relationship between an alien and a machine, the best technology that we have. And they call it Q because they don't quite understand what it is. And it ends up killing all of them and taking over the planet. Interesting. Nice. I like it. I'm going with a... Long deceased European queen comes back to life to terrorize a small European village uh, with the climactic scene ending in the old church. And finally, the demon being, you know, exercised from the, the evil queen and, and all all is restored again. <laughs> and the line has to be, goodbye, Q. <laughs> Yeah, both of those uh, are great. Pretty movies. close. They're good movies. No, are they're they, not are they close, close at all. Not Which close one's closest? Uh, they're just in different directions of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. So the Q here. Here's the synopsis. Uh, NYPD detectives Shepard and Powell are working on a bizarre case of a ritualistic Aztec murder. Meanwhile, something big is attacking people of New York. And only greedy, small-time crook Jimmy Quinn knows where its lair is. It looks like a dragon-type character from the poster, so... Interesting. That's uh, So Jeff would be closest. A terrorized town. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's that's just New York, right? Yeah. Well, that's just horror movies. Something's always terrorized. <laughs> right. Everyone has to be terrorized. Interesting. Okay, Very cute. Nice. Good, good, good. I like it. All right, Alan, how about you? You got a title? Okay. Yeah. Mine is called Grabbers. Uh, Trump biography. <laughs> oh my god! I was just gonna say the same thing. <laughs> I thought it was timely. That's so. Isn't Trump that sad? That like that. Like you say, grabbers. Oh that's god. the first thing I can think of. Like, ugh. I was actually thinking the other day. We're if I said movie. half of the things that that our president said, I'd be fired. If yesterday I told a woman like, "You're not that intelligent, are you? You don't think very often, do you?" <laughs> I'd be fired today. <laughs> like in all of my in both my jobs at the hospital or at the church. And like he's the president of the United States, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah. We're, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's all. It's so frustrating right now. We're we're recording this with all the stuff happening. Right. In it's the, uh, it's heavy. It's that yeah, it is okay. So the movie. So the movie is grabbers. Pivot back. Sorry about that. I thought it was timely. Grabbers. It it, it is, and and certainly deserving of our sadness. Um. All right. So back to the topic at hand here. Yes. Horror movie. Uh, so I'm going to guess Grabbers is uh, some sort of a strange underworld entity, like subterranean entity that reaches up and grabs unsuspecting teenagers while they're up to mischief. Mm, nice. It's a horror movie trope right there. Stick with the trope. You're almost always going to be right. Okay. <laughs> the teenagers. So let's say Grabbers. I'm going to try to think a little bit outside of the the horror movie trope box. Let's see. Grabbers. Uh, it's a film about demon possessed children who, instead of going door to door and grabbing candy, they're grabbing <laughs> they're grabbing uh, people from their homes and and stealing them. All leading up to a large ritualistic killing with all of them. But then one of the kids from the neighborhood is the hero, and he saves the day. Very nice, a la Stranger Things kind of deal. That's what I, that's what I was thinking along. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going with an Irish theme. Both of the movies I picked are Irish horror films mm. because oh. I feel like Halloween <laughs> nice. being an Irish-American. And this one is a particularly Irish. So Garda O'Shea, he's an alcoholic, oh, nice. uh, <laughs> is married to um, this uh, scientist who's been assigned to a temporary duty on a remote Irish island. And she's he hates it because, you know, he's... He, he wants to hang out at his bar, but he goes with his romantic interests and she's studying all these whale corpses and they discover that there's these 
uh, these beings, these blood sucking tentacled aliens from various, uh, various sizes that come out of a ball of green light from the ocean are attacking this Irish island. And when the town drunk survives one of the attacks, the local, uh, the local biologist and scientist, uh, marine ecologist, Dr. Smith theorizes that his high blood alcohol content is what helped him survive the attack because his blood is toxic to the aliens. So in the movie, the entire town gets drunk except for our hero Garda, who is this alcoholic. He stays, he offers to stay sober while the whole town gets drunk to fight off these, these, uh, these aliens. And so they all drink at the pub. And they win. And uh, in the artwork, <laughs> in the artwork for grabbers at the top, like the little things, oh someone says, God. funny, gory, and with some feckin' good CGI. Like nice. a good Irish. What year was that made? 2012. Oh, my oh goodness. so it's uh, current. <laughs> I, I, I like that premise, though, like aliens, yeah. you know, hiding out in the, the bodies of whales. Interesting. Right. All right, Jeff, are you up? Yes. Or is it? Okay. All right. So my title is the cat o nine tales mm. you want to go rush no go ahead okay um there's a uh, this hospital where there's some hauntings happening in different rooms and there's these cat scan machines they keep ordering new ones but somehow something goes mysteriously wrong and kills the people inside of the cat scan machines and so it's nine different stories of these people being visited by haunted machinery in the hospital Hence the cat o nine tails, <laughs> t a l e s. I like it. I yeah. Like it. All right. Here's go. here's another one. Uh, at the edge of a murky marsh lays a grove of cat o nine tails. This marsh is notorious as a skinny dipping spot for a nearby retirement community, <laughs> <laughs> where the elderly who find a newly found sexual liberation meet up for random escapades and one by one begin disappearing <laughs> while exiting the marsh. Wow. That sounds like a, a grosser version of the movie cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Oh my God. That's where they go into the pool. And there's like the aliens that take them in the cocoon and take them away. Uh, both are great answers, but neither of them are correct. Uh, here's the synopsis. A newspaper reporter and a retired blind journalist try to solve a series of killings connected to a pharmaceutical company's experimental top secret research projects. And in so doing, both become targets of the killer who has an extra chromosome. Interesting. So this was 71. Obviously, there wasn't okay. a, a lot of uh, understanding of genetics back then. <laughs> right, right, right. We hadn't completed the... Uh... What the was genome. that big genome project? So I'm not exactly sure where the cat o nine tails comes into that. Um, I think maybe the extra chromosome was a cat chromosome, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I like my movie better. I do, too. I like yours, too. I, I would watch, watch that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Raj, you got another title for us? Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, here's the title. It Conquered the World. It Conquered the World. It sounds like a just a parody version of like the thing or the blob or, the or something blob. like that that's what i was thinking this one's kind of deep hmm. okay so i'm gonna go with the frankenstein motif and there's this botched experiment where there's this creature boy who's in school who's somewhat human and somewhat not it's a redemption story where he's uh looks at his inner demons and his outer demons the way he's treated in school and he overcomes them and to become a part of the community around him and heal those relationships so that he can live just like everybody else. And so in a sense, he is the it and he is conquering the world around him through love and uh, connection. Layered Alan. Nice. That was, that was good. <laughs> I'm I'm going to, I'm going to interpret it as being it and that the movie is about an out of, out of control technology and someone has to stop it warning us about the dangers of our reliance on technology itself. Nice. Well, it's a, it, there's a Black Mirror episode in there somewhere. Right. I yeah. think so. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. All of these are good Black Mirror episodes. Yeah. I know. Seniors experience. I can't, their I can't watch that show very much. It, it's, it's intense. It's too intense. So here's the synopsis. It was in 1956 uh, was released. 
A well-meaning scientist guides an alien monster to Earth from Venus so that he can rid mankind of feelings and emotions, but only death and sorrow results. Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of like, okay. There we go. I, I like this. Who's next? All right, Alan, give us your second. Okay, here's my second one. Freak dog. Okay, freak, freak dog. dog. This one is really, like, obscure. And this is not an adult film. <laughs> <laughs> That's another segment, Raj. That's another segment. <laughs> I don't know if I'm progressive enough for that one. <laughs> okay, freak That's dog. That, freak That's dog. like my dog. She's uh, She humps every pillow. She's a tiny little thing. And it's like, what are you doing? Like so it's viciously, about, about they power. they explode. They start leaking their stuffing. Wow, we have to hide them all. Oh, not the dog. Not the, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> really... No, we have to hide the pillows when she's around. It's like, what are you doing? She's like the sweetest little thing. <laughs> that pillow didn't hurt you. <laughs> all right, uh, freak dog. Let's see. Um, I'm going to say the setting is the 70s and. A highly respected, not, I don't know, highly respected, but a, a highly known disco artist becomes infected by the bite of a werewolf and is maneuvering through downtown 1970s New York City trying to fight his newly found urges with the power of disco. <laughs> Dang, that's good, man. That weaves in together several movies. I like that. That's like I feel like that's actually a movie. I'm sure it is somewhere. It's like teenage werewolf plus like I don't know. I mine mine was I, I'm not even gonna try. I'm just gonna say old yeller resurrected. <laughs> just because you want to see him come back to life. Right. That's just a cathartic thing. Uh it is the film follows Freak Dog. Follows four medical students who, while pl- out partying one night, spike the drink of an un of an unknowing loner hospital janitor, Kenneth, nicknamed Freak Dog, and his epilepsy and seizure. He falls down, hits his head. They dump his body uh, in front of the hospital and drive off as fast as they can, hoping someone will come across his body and help him. One of the students attempts to revive him using an experimental drug, which causes him to have out of body experiences. And allows him to possess the students and get his revenge on them one by one by framing them for murdering each other while they try to find a way to stop him. I like that. I know. When I read that, I was like, That's I'm going to watch this now. That's an interesting movie. That's yeah, the one that fun. I looked up and I told you guys was 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when was that released? Uh, 2008. Oh, it's man. You guys British, are doing like recent stuff. British horror film directed by Paddy Brethnach. And it originally went under the title Red Mist. I like Freak Dog. Freak Dog. Freak That's Dog. Good. I like it. All right. You ready for the final the final title for this episode? Yep. Ding, ding, ding. It's Basket Case. Hmm. All right. I've got one. What looks like a retelling of the baby Moses in a basket in the bulrushes. <laughs> in the bulrushes. <laughs> Turns out to be. A disguise for an alien embedded in the flesh of a baby and ends up terrorizing ancient Egypt. And we learn that (laughs) the pyramids are actually hives that are waiting for the year 3000 before they emerge and take over all the world with human flesh being their source of nourishment. I like that. I feel like you've given thought to this before, Raj. <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah, feels like a, like a germ a of an actual trouble. conspiracy theory that you may have had. <laughs> There's some ancient aliens in there somewhere. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. I'm going to go with um, there is an unpaid intern at an office who is just given all the paperwork from everybody in the whole office. And they get so angry one day that they go home and they they look up some some spells to give them more power because they feel powerless to earn a decent wage in this GD society. And uh, because, you know, they were they graduated college during the recession and they couldn't find a thing that would pay them well enough. And uh, so they 
They they it's give these personal. they do these rituals. <laughs> no, this is just you know this is my best educated guess. And uh, they do these rituals at home, and they summon a source of dark evil power, and they go back to the office, and uh, they do so well at their job that they get more unpaid hours and more work, and it torments them, and they die without anyone knowing what happened. Wow, Alan, that sounds like an allegorical. It, uh, I was just gonna say, it sounds like an autobiography uh, movie of your life, where the big evil is maybe uh, John MacArthur. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that's awesome! Okay, what's All right, the actual well, both of those are are good scenarios. Both movies that I would watch, but uh, this one here's a synopsis: a strange young man arrives in the city with a basket under his arm which turns out to hold his horribly deformed twin brother. The pair proceed to enact a bloody revenge upon the doctors who separated them at birth in this alternatively humorous and terrifying cult classic. That sounds awesome. I know, right? (laughs) That sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for us this week. I think that's the one to end on. So, Raj, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, is there anything you'd like to let people know about? How can people find out what you're doing or what kind of work you have going on? Well, you know, we mentioned intersections before. Uh, that's a way Facebook.com slash the intersections is a way to reach out, learn a little bit more about that. Um, you can you can find me out on Facebook at Rev Raj. And uh, just love working with you guys. Looking forward to to more episodes and and continued conversation as we journey together. Sounds good, Alan. How can people find what you have going on on the interwebs? Always Facebook. Um, I do have Instagram and stuff, but Rev Alan O'Brien on Facebook. And uh, I've been adding people. People have been adding me lately. So if you want to talk or discuss stuff, just add me, and we'll be friends. Sounds good. And you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast having to do with the segment Divine Cinema, where we look at uh, different themes of faith in movies. And you can find all the episodes there at DivineCinema.net. We were on an unintended hiatus for a while, but we're back this month in October. And for our Halloween episode, we're going to be looking at the old end times film a thief in the night so if Yay. you've ever seen that or you want to hear about that that'll be our episode posting uh on the on the fourth thursday of this month in preparation for halloween so check that out uh as for irenicast don't forget to subscribe to the show to never miss an episode we're available on all major platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if the platform allows it, leave us a rating and review. Uh, we're always looking for more ways to hear from you. You can also fill out our listener survey at irenacast.com slash survey. The information you give is super helpful for us as we move forward and continue to evolve the show. That's irenacast.com slash survey. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Spooky Allen. I'm Raj. Thanks for joining the conversation. 